Hey, this is Dan, just dropping you a quick line before you start this episode to let you know a couple of things. What you're about to listen to is one of the classic best of episodes of Assorted Goods in its older format. And by older format, I mean the sandbox and completely disorganized style that Assorted Goods was for its first few years of existence. Now, since then, the feed has been cleaned up and there's 12 of these classic episodes. And you should know, if you're a new listener, that these episodes are not really what the show is now. But they're still good and they're still worth listening to. But just be warned that if you're looking to get into assorted goods as it is now, that you probably want to go to the latest episode in your feed. Start listening from there. Throughout the episode, you might hear certain things get mentioned, like the website or the social media. Now, those have changed. So don't go chasing those websites or links after the episode. Go to these ones instead. The website has now disinformed.ca, CA for, you know, Canadians like me. And that's where you can find all the assorted good stuff that is mentioned in these episodes. You can find the source lists and additional information. They have all moved to there. In terms of emailing, you can email me now with the new email, dan at disinformed.ca. And if you want to follow on social media, Twitter and Instagram, the new handles are at disinformeddan. And hey, look, all three of those are kind of similar with each other, creating some sort of uh, continuity. People tell me that's important. But anyways, whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, I hope you enjoy this classic episode of Assorted Goods. And then I hope you subscribe to the show and come along for the ride with the new episodes as well. And as always, thank you for listening and enjoy. Hey folks, welcome to Assorted Goods, back again for another episode of random and hopefully useful information. I'm Dan, your host. Thank you for stopping by and lending me those ears, and if this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for giving the show a shot. Typically, each episode is a dive into a handful of stories and topics, or maybe just one big topic where I do some research and try to put things together and make sense of it all. It's like coming along for my journey to learn a little bit about the world, really, but This episode is something different, and I do say that a lot, but seriously, something here today that has never been done before on this podcast, something that is probably long overdue to become a part of the show. But first, let me just quickly get the usual housekeeping out of the way. If you find that Assorted Goods is the right podcast for you, please subscribe to the show, but also consider giving it a rating or a review on whatever app you use to listen. It helps Assorted Goods get discovered and grow and all that good stuff. Also, you can follow Assorted Goods on Twitter at Assorted Goods PC or on Facebook slash Instagram at Assorted Goods Pod. There's also a website, assortedgoodspod.com, where you can find all the episodes, as well as a list of the sources used to write each and every episode of the show, and a few extra bits and pieces of things I find along my journey out on the interwebs. I know, it seems like a legitimate operation here, but it's all an elaborate disguise. Now, down to business. For this episode here, I am so excited because this episode, this one right here, is the first guest interview I've done on Assorted Goods. Yeah, that's right. I'm breaking out of my shell and doing the kind of stuff that real podcasters do. My guest is someone that I've known for a long time now, and our focus this episode is on education and the role technology plays in our education system these days. 
We also spitballed a bit about football and coaching the sport that my guests and I both love dearly. It was a great time, and I'm really incredibly pleased with how it turned out. Anyways, let's just get to it then. This is a straight shot through the episode, no halftime breaks like usual. It's all interview. So sit back and I hope you enjoy. Too. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this all day, and I was thinking, like, I want to make sure I put something good out for the guy. And big thing for you. Oh, come on! You, there's like three people who will hear it, so don't worry, you'll be fine. <laughs> um. Okay. So, you good? You ready? Let's do it. Yeah, all buddy. right. Let's go. Okay. Fire. Well, I'd like to introduce our very first guest here on the Asota Goods Podcast. He's a teacher a coach, a role model, an all-around great guy, and someone I've been fortunate to call a close friend for over 10 years now. Please welcome Carlo Trenadu. Carlo, thanks for dropping by to chat, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a big step. Yeah. So how, how are you doing? How's the quarantine life treating you so far? Quarantine life's all right. Uh, you know, I think I've adapted pretty well. It's obviously a little bit uh, tough to be inside all the time and uh, made a big routine out of it, making sure I'm getting my runs in and getting some weights in and staying connected with the people that count. But, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, I'd like to be traveling. I'd like to be outside. I'd like to see some family, but yeah, you got to adapt, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I echo every one of those sentiments. I've, I've got the weights going in my house. I, I went for my first run of the year yesterday. I'm hurting today. You know, yeah. Zoom calls, Skype meetings, everybody. I'm, I'm calling. I'm calling at least a couple people a day. So I, I hear you on that one. But uh, anyway, I wanted to have you on because I thought it'd be a great opportunity to talk a little bit about a topic that I don't touch on enough on this show, surprisingly, and that's education. I figured, mm-hmm. what better way to do this than to have you on to offer a little unique perspective on the subject, and also to uh, you know take the pressure off me as a host doing my first interview. So I appreciate uh, you picking me to be the one to do that for you. So. <laughs> I'll oh, you know, give it's you the best I got. Yeah, it's, it's a comfort the best level. I got. All right, so let's just jump into it then. And uh, I wanted to lead off with a real, you know, a softball for you. So I want to talk a little bit about why you wanted to get into teaching. You know, I obviously there's the yeah. following in footsteps and a little bit of the family business to it. But, you know, what was it that inspired you? What did you like about it to begin with? Yeah, that's well, you know, outside, like you mentioned, outside the uh, the family influence. I come from a, a family of teachers and I think, uh, you know, my, my father quite well. I do. Um, but, uh, he's been a big uh, influence on me as well. But outside of that, you know, I was never, I'm, I was never really a nine to five guy. Never wanted to sit at a desk. Never wanted to just do tasks all day. Um, I wanted to be involved, wanted to do something, um, a little bit more fun. And, uh, you know, teaching, teaching's really given me that I've never woken up and said, damn, I got to go to work. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, it's it's a big it's a big role to play. It's a role to play in uh, in in some lives of kids that might need it. And um, you know, another aspect of teaching is you got to be a number of different things at once. Uh, and I think I'm the kind of guy that I'm a bit of a jack of all trades. And when it comes to teaching, you got to be you got to be a salesman. You got to be a marketer. You got to be an actor. You got to be a boss. You got to be an employee. You got to be a writer. Uh, so. I, I like to wear a number of those hats uh, every day and uh, it just never gets old. It's a new, it's a new, it's a new adventure every day. That's good. That's good. I, you know, as somebody who works sort of the, the Monday nine to five, I feel slightly attacked, but <laughs> 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 you 
I, it's not for me, man. Never was. <laughs> you got me. You, you got me rethinking all my life decisions now. But <laughs> hey, man, it's only two year degree. Hey, you know, I can I can play a few roles. <laughs> I think you know. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I need I need a wide receiver coach. Oh, so I got to remember. I have to remember <laughs> everything to do with football. So I got I got to brush up a little bit on that too. But then, uh, so so, what's your favorite part of it what, so far? I mean, you've been in it for a few years now. What's uh, what's your yeah. real again another softball? What's your favorite part of doing the job so far? Favorite part? It's a tough question. There's so many different things I love about it, but you know, I'll give you the heartfelt answer. Uh, I think it's the ability to impart wisdom, uh, hopefully to students who are engaged with you and and you know forge those relationships. Uh, be some be someone who 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 I think students need and uh, and it's it's an important job man you know it's 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 inside the classroom it's outside the classroom I think the biggest thing for me is just being able to have it being able to uh, you know have a part to play in in the way that uh, these kids are formed in the way that these kids grow and the way that the kid the kids uh, grow up so um, to have that potential impact I think is a big responsibility and and uh I welcome that. I welcome that. That's good. Uh, what, what's something that you actually are a, a little less keen on as a, as a, I guess, as part of the job? Something, <sighs> something, something that's, if you have to pick something that is, is your least yeah. favorite part yeah. of the job. Oh, you got to go with the marking. Right. You got to go with the marking. Right. Like, I mean, it, yeah, I love to mark. I love to give feedback. I think it's very, very important for, for the kids. They need the feedback. Uh, it's just a time. It's just time consuming. That's right. all it is. I think the biggest thing there is it eats away at my time. Yeah. Uh, you know, so you just got to be smart about the assessments that you give. You got to be smart about the way in which you're assessing. And, um, and you got to, you got to have that balance. You got to find that balance. You know, I could spend eight hours a day marking papers and, uh, you know, to some extent, you just got to say, well, when do you, when do you stop? And when do you, uh, right. when do you kind of, change the way you assess to, to something else. Right. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I still love it. It's just time consuming. Okay. Uh, now what is, what's something that you've actually been surprised by so far? It's something you didn't sort of something that, uh, I guess, you know, the education behind it didn't really prepare you for once you actually got into the job. Oh man. Uh, I got to talk, I'll talk presently. I'll talk right now. I mean, like, I don't think that, you know, my teaching education or even the current teaching education that's being bestowed to teachers right now are, are preparing them for what's going on with online learning. Right. Uh, you know, I think that we've all been thrown into a different situation here that some of us are not really prepared for. And that's to be expected. And it's, I mean, you got it, you got to understand, right? Like no one really understood or uh, was, was prepared of, on how to adapt their teaching to, to online. I mean, I think I've been pretty fortunate um, because, you know, I'm, I'm currently undergoing my master's program and that master's program is in educational technology. So I think I'm in a pretty good position with understanding how to shift my teaching online and, 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 you know, stuff along those lines. But, uh, there's no, I think for a lot of teachers, they've been kind of blindsided and they don't really, they weren't prepared. They weren't ready, uh, even in on basic understanding on how to teach online. Um, So, you know, with, with that being said too, it's, there's no substitution for, for in-class and in-class learning, face-to-face learning. Mm -hmm. Um, You can, you can still teach content. You can still, uh, you know, follow the curriculum to some extent with online learning, but there's that social emotional piece and the the forging Mm -hmm. relationships that's, that's taken a big hit, I think. 
And that feels like, I, I mean, I feel that even in my job right now, it feels like the whole world was caught off guard by this whole, I mean, it always felt like we were getting to digital everything and work from home. And even this, yeah. like, you know, you know, webcam meetings and Zoom meetings and all, we were heading there, but this, this whole, you know, pandemic just put everything into hyperdrive. Like yeah. even my yeah. job, we weren't, we were, we weren't even doing working from home. And we were expecting like, yeah, that's maybe like a year from now we're going to be prepared to do that full time. And now it's already full time. It's everything is accelerated. Yeah, I can imagine that it's really caught everybody off guard and it's really it's really forcing people to adapt. And it's it's a it's a challenge, I think, across the board everywhere that that people are starting to figure out like technology is now beyond just, you know, a vital piece. It's now it's everything. It's the necessity. You can't you, you have to utilize it to its fullest extent. So. Yeah, I definitely understand where that's coming from. Now, uh, one of the more, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is is when you become a teacher, and I guess I've always wanted to ask a teacher, is what sort of perspective shifts do you have now that you're the guy at the front of the class? And especially since it wasn't that long ago that you were a student yourself. So now that you're now that you're at the front looking out, uh, you know, what's uh, what sort of shifts in your perspective have you seen? No, I appreciate you saying it hasn't been that long. Uh, it definitely, <laughs> it definitely feels pretty long. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to convince that, myself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm well, trying to convince yeah. myself too. I'm trying to convince my body. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, that's a good question. I, I you know, I, I wasn't a great student. I, I was not a good student, um, behaviorally and academically. Um, it wasn't until, you know, university where I really clicked in and said, you know, this stuff's really interesting to me. I got to buckle down. I got to learn this stuff. And I took an interest to a lot of few, a lot of few things. And that's when I really kind of became the student uh, that you should be. But right. in high school, uh, I was a troublemaker, man. I was a troublemaker. And if, if this ever gets out to any of the teachers that I had before, <laughs> I just want to say I'm sorry. I want to apologize uh, because I was a handful. Um, but you know, I think, I think looking back like that, that's a, that helped me, um, because, well, for one, when, 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 you know, students of mine act out or they're, they become a handful, so to speak. Uh, I always think that, you know, this is karma. This is, this is, this is playing back on me. Um, but I think it's, it's lent, it's lent a, a deeper understanding as to, you know, why, certain things happen the way they do in the classroom and why, you know, certain students act out. There's always a reason. There's always a deeper, a deeper, uh, reason there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I wish I could say that a lot lot of people don't think it's fun, but you know, (laughs) and I guess I imagine it's gotta be, it's gotta be about keeping that sort of sense of enjoyment as the years go on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely a profession where you can get burned out quite easily. Right. Uh, especially if you're working uh, harder than you have to work, but you just got to work efficiently. Um, yeah. And, you know, you really got to love what you do. You really yeah. got to love what you do. And I'd say that for any profession. I wouldn't just say that for, right. for education and teaching, right? But Yeah, hard to argue that. Now, uh, we already touched on it a little bit, but I thought we'd get back into this. The, this whole pandemic and the coronavirus and everything. I mean, talk yeah. about talk yeah. about throwing everybody for a loop, eh? And I mean, happening so quickly, too. I, I mean... I was having a conversation the other day with a friend of mine, and I, I said, you know, that first week or so, I don't know if you remember, like, when, when the NBA got canceled and then all the sports, yeah. everything got really real very quickly, and all of a sudden yeah. it was like, it, that week felt like 10 years, and then all of a sudden it got normal, and now everything just feels like it's blown by again. So, I mean, yeah. it happened so quickly. How's the, how was the adjustment for you 
off the start. I mean, how, how did those first few weeks go for everybody and, and for not just you, but, you know, the other, you know, your coworkers and the other teachers you work with? Yeah, it's good. I, you know, it did happen so quickly, man. I had a I had a trip to, to Mexico booked over March break and oh. it wasn't until like, you know, 40 hours till the trip. I was like on the phone for six and a half hours waiting to get this thing canceled yeah. and trying to reschedule like this hit people pretty quickly and uh, kind of blindsided them. Um, but, you know, it's funny when you ask about the first couple weeks of the teaching online. And um, I think the first couple weeks were actually pretty good. Uh, at least for me, I don't want to speak for a lot of teachers out there because I know I know there's been a lot of teachers who've tr- struggled and they've had uh, a tough time preparing and acclimatizing. Um, but you know, the first couple of weeks for me were quite were quite well put together. I got a lot of participation. Yeah. Um, it seemed like you know it's kind of like this new thing. Oh, we got, we're, we're jumping into this new thing, and there's all these cool things that we need to learn, these new tools that we need to use, and. So I think there was a lot of engagement in the first couple of weeks. It's actually yeah. now, it's actually recently, at least for me, uh, that I think the novelty of online right. learning is starting to wear out. Um, again, you know, I, I introduced all these new tools when we first started. I think a lot of the kids were like, whoa, this is cool. I didn't think about yeah. this in that way. Or, oh, great, I get to create more videos and I get more time to do this and that. Um, but as, as time went on, you know, I think that they started to understand that they needed to be at school. Yeah. Uh, and I think part of that is because they need to be around people. They need to be around right. their friends, their teachers. Uh, there's only, there's only so much, there's only so many video games you can play, put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. even my hardcore gamer guys, they're like, you know, yeah. Mr. T, I am done. I yeah. can't play video games anymore. And it's such so, a, it's such a, I mean, that's that phase of your life where, where socialization feels like the, the be all end all of, of a lot of kids' lives, right? I mean, that, yeah. that going to school, that catching up, that joking around and all that. I mean, to, to remove that, I mean, I wasn't the most social kid in high school, but even still, I couldn't imagine being home day after day yeah. after day after day like that. So are there any I, – I, what sort of challenges, I mean, are you personally facing as a teacher? And and is there anything that's happened over the, these couple months that you didn't expect? What, what were your expectations when everything changed, and, and how has the reality sort of matched up to that? Well, one of the first things I had to do with the kids was I had to, under, I had to get them to understand that you know there needs to be a change in mindset. There needs to be a, a, a kind of shift in the way that you're thinking about education. And some of the things that I relate to them was, you know, uh, you need to be self-motivated. Uh, you need to be accountable and responsible for your learning. And you need to be kind of intellectually curious. And I think those those pillars are, you know, strong regardless of whether we're online or offline learning. But, you know, Dan, here's the thing, man. Like, you can find anything online. Yeah. Any content that I'm teaching kids, all it takes is a Google search. Yeah. And, and so, you know, because of that, you know, you got to ask, well, what should we be teaching? Yeah. Right. And, 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 and it, 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 I think that, and I had this, this discussion a lot with a lot of different teachers, whether it be uh, colleagues, friends, or just getting in arguments on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, if everything can be found online, and we all have devices in our pockets yeah. that have this capability, this affordance to, to, you know, 
essentially look up or or know anything at any time. Well, I think that there has to be a diminished importance on the content. Right. And what do you teach then? Well, you've got to teach like social emotional learning. You've got to you've got to teach you know people how to react to situations and how you need to <clears throat> communicate properly, how to think critically, uh, how to creatively problem solve, mm-hmm. how to work together as a team. Uh, those are things that you can't Google. Right. Um, and so you know you ask, well, what is the biggest hit? I think that the personal connection. That's that's teaching. Yeah, teaching is personal connection. You know. Yeah, it's it's, it's so, so much more than just the information for you guys now. I mean, uh, y- yeah. you're right. The, you can pass on any amount of content. I mean, I remember the word uh, a word. I don't even know how much it gets brought up anymore because you know I'm outside of the circle and all that. But curriculum, right? It used to be mm-hmm. we're teaching the curriculum. We're teaching this this set structure of 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 topics from top to bottom, and these are all the areas we're going to touch on, and this is all we're going to cover. But now it's like. You know that used that was back in the day where it was hard to find information. Now yeah. you're right; you can get anything anywhere at any time. So, yeah, you can pass it on through video learning and through the emails and all that. But you're not you're not developing. You're not able to develop those sort of interpersonal skills that are still absolutely extremely yeah. important in that that period of life. And then because we both know that the second you get out of high school and you go on to college, it's our it's up to that. Well, you're on your own. This is up to you now. You you got to figure this out. And without those skills being well developed and it's sort of it's the one worry i have after all this is if this goes on for you know a long enough period is are we setting a a generation a small section of a generation of kids back in developing those interpersonal skills and developing those sort of you know those pieces of independence that that are so essential at that that age because really it's like you know it's a quick shift when you go from being 17 18 now well now you're an adult now you can buy booze and weed and do whatever you want. If you don't, you know, you go to college, if you don't want to go to class, you don't have to go to class. But if you're not, yeah. you know, properly equipped with those tools, then, and, you know, I guess the big question for everybody across the education spectrum right now is, is how do you compensate for that? Like I'm saying, th- you know, I, again, I live here in London. This is a big college town, you know, Western's here. This is, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend the other day is if this goes to September, what happens to the first year kids that, that first week, you know, that frosh week, that all the events and the, bringing kids out of their shell and how important, like how important that was for me as, as, as a really shy, awkward mm-hmm. kid when I came, like, how do you compensate for the things that aren't, you know, the information that gets slammed into your brain? How do you, how do you, how do you make up for the loss of sort of exactly what you've been saying, the interpersonal skills? Yeah. Like, is that something that, is that something that you feel like people are, are, are trying to figure out or is it sort of getting lost in the shuffle so far? Well, you know, here, here's the thing, like, I, I, how do you compensate how do you compensate for that? I don't think you can, right. you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's tough. And my, that would be my immediate response is like, I don't know if you can do that. Um, right. I think, you know, you, you, you mentioned curriculum and, um, you know, having, having grown up in Ontario and having taught in Ontario for a number of years, uh, and then having moved to BC and teaching in BC for a number of years now, there is a pretty, stark difference between the curriculums and it's not on the content mm. it's on the competencies um i remember looking through the 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 curriculum documents for ontario and you know it's this massive pdf you know hundreds and hundreds of pages of different things you know that you need to cover and different strands and it's it's thick it's dense um yeah. and there's certainly value in that i'm not downplaying the ontario curriculum um but you know you compare that with the bc curriculum and it's a couple web pages 
And what's on the web pages? Well, here's the competencies that you need to cover. You know, you need to teach social and personal awareness and, uh, you know, identity, communication, uh, you know, so it's a lot easier, easier to navigate uh, for teachers as well. When you, when you, when you look at, you know, a couple web pages compared to uh, 300, 400 page PDF files. Now, do you feel, do you feel like that's sort of, uh, I mean, I guess that's must be obviously a difference in, in the, the, I guess the administrative side of the education system, depending on where you are. But uh, I mean, even that, like, do you, do you feel, do you feel that maybe there's sometimes in certain curricula or certain school systems that there's too much of an emphasis on hitting all of these, you know, milestones of, of information throughout the course of a year and, and not enough of an emphasis on sort of develop, like you said, developing personal skills. I mean, I always felt like that growing up when you look at some teachers and you think like, I feel like this guy's stressed because he's, he's worried about being able to hit all the benchmarks of, of this curriculum all year while managing, mm-hmm. you know, that a bunch of people who are going through that phase of your life where, where everything is a little nuts and you're figuring a lot of things out. Do you, do you think that sometimes there maybe is a little bit too much of an emphasis on, on adhering to, you know, hitting all those bullet points instead of sort of working on the people instead? I think there is a little bit, you know, I think we are changing. I think we're in a transition period. I like to think we're in a transition period where, you know, a lot of the younger generation are now becoming teachers and they're bringing forward this, this, you know, burgeoning way of thinking. Um, but I think that there are some people still stuck on that content piece. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, you know, uh, you, know you, t- you take, you take what's going on right now and how valuable would social emotional learning be in yeah. adapting to the scenarios that are going on in our society. You, yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned, you know, uh, first year students who are undergoing a lot of stress or whatever the example might be, right? How valuable would it be to have uh, social emotional learning that pertains to managing stress? Right. I think that'd be very valuable right now. Uh, right. You know, am, am I going to say that's more important than scoring, you know, whatever the highest score is on the SAT? Uh, I don't know. But I, I can tell you that, and here's a, here's something I say to all my classes, you know, I teach mostly grade nines right now. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, they're always hung up, always hung up on, you know, the mark, always hung up on the grade, you know, the number, the number. Yeah. And to like, how far does that number go? To what extent does that number represent you? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a lot of the time, I, you know, something I say to them all the time is I've been interviewed by a number of police, number of places, number of people, and not once have I ever been asked, Hey, what did you get on your Shakespeare yeah. essay? Yeah. I was gonna say, or, I can't remember. I can't remember any grades, you know, nothing. I can't, I can't remember maybe, maybe one story where there was this one time, this one thing, uh, cause it stands out, but like, I couldn't tell you what I got on no. anything ever. My grade eight math test or my persuasive yeah. writing essay, you yeah. know what they do ask? They ask, Hey, uh, are you organized? Right. Can you work? Can you work in a team? Right. Uh, can you creatively problem solve? Yeah. Hey, can you think critically? And yeah. you know it, that that's it right there. Those are the competencies, and that's what yeah. I think. That's what we should be teaching. Is a bit of a. Is it feel a little bit like a? I mean, not to you know overly boil this down with simplicity, but sort of the qualitative versus quantitative sort of methods is that is that there seems to be. I, I know. I know in the American education system they have this where there's a, a, a ridiculous emphasis on on that right there on tests and scoring and and a lot of things are done in sort of the the quantitative method and less on sort of the 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 qualities of the of the students themselves there's less development of interpersonal skills and too much of a focus on getting numbers that look good across the entire board that can be sort of like i guess 
you know, we live in a world where now everything is being, everything is very data analytical and everything's boiled down to numbers, but it, it still kind of gets to me a little bit to think of like, I can't imagine boiling, you know, teenagers down to, to numbers. Like, I mean, I can't imagine boiling people down to numbers, but let alone, you know, people in such a crucial developmental stage of life to be, you know, to, to basically, yeah, that's a little, that's, that's funny to hear that, that young people look yeah. at this like, you know, what's my number? Right. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's taken the humanity out of, out of what is a much out of humanities. Right. Oh, oh, oh. All right there. Hey, clever. But yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. Now, uh, actually, I, I mean, we've been touching, we've been touching on this already a few times, but it was one of the, it was where I was going to transition as we went here. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, we're the same age. We're both, you know, late twenties, you know, and we're both people who grew up with a lot of the technologies that are now so deeply ingrained mm-hmm. in our in our society and especially in younger generations. I mean, they've grown up with this. So, you know, yeah. you're somebody who's savvy with this. You grew up with this, but you also remember what it was like to not have these things. So I, I guess I'll, I'll lead off with, you know, how does technology play a role in your teaching and, and, you know, the way that you interact with students, not just inside the classroom, but also outside the classroom? Yeah, that's that's. It's it's interesting, man. It's really interesting because, you know, we are we are on the fringe. We were, you know, born at a time where we can remember what life was like uh before Facebook, for example. Yeah. Uh we yeah. can remember what it was like when we had flip phones uh and stuff like that, right? But we can also remember yeah. a time. We've seen we've seen that transition. We've seen the evolution. Yeah. And uh so I think that's a pretty interesting time. In the words of famous Toronto debatable philosopher what a time to be alive uh but you know it's it's this weird middle ground that we stand in uh where you know we can remember what it's like but we know what it's like now and and you know there's there's these terms that get thrown around uh digital native and digital immigrant and being a digital immigrant is would be someone a little bit older than us, actually probably our parents' age, let's say, or our grandparents' right. age, uh, where they had to essentially uh, immigrate to this digital world that we live in now. They've had to learn how to use these technologies over the course of long periods of time. Whereas, um, you know, students now are born into a world where uh, a padlet or a tablet, sorry, is uh, is put in their face when they're three years old uh, yeah. as a means of settling them down when they're at dinner with their family. Uh, right. So they are native. They're native to this digital world. And I think mm-hmm. being on that fringe, um, you know, it's 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 it allows you to relate with them a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I often find myself resenting. Uh, this whole TikTok fra- uh, phase, for example, um, you know, I use a lot of the same platforms that these kids are using. Uh, I will not, I don't think, I think my, my limit is the TikTok. Uh, right. But, right. you know, the other, the other funny thing too is, you know, you mentioned Facebook and that's seen as the old person social yeah. media platform. Yeah, it's like, it's like turning into MySpace or something like that. Yeah. Like, it's, oh, you have Facebook? Oh, yeah, yeah. My mom has Facebook. Right? And yeah. my grandmother has Facebook. You know, <laughs> um, so it's, I, I think I try to, to, to harness those tools in a way that you need to get them to understand that this is more than a piece of entertainment. This is more than a piece of, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, but the, the point of the matter is you can harness these things as tools and you can harness them as tools to further your education. 
um, if they are used properly. Um, you know, Twitter. Twitter. I'm a big I'm a big Twitter fan. And oh, me too. Yeah, I'm a big Twitter <laughs> fan. You know, and I've read a number of articles that that suggest Twitter is 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 a great way to professionally develop in terms of networking. Mm. And yeah. being able to connect with people across the world, and uh, you know, have open discussions with a number of people. It's not. It's not about tweeting. You know, what's going on right now, or you know, what yeah. what food you're eating, or whatever. You know, it's it's if you use that stuff correctly, it can be very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I um, I mean, I'm uh, I do most of the stuff for this show on Twitter, right? And yeah. and I can I credit every connection I've made and everything that I've done that's been outside of my own sort of world here since I started doing this show. All the Twitter, all the people I've connected with have been on there. All the, you know, all the people I've collaborated with, all the ideas and support have all come from Twitter. And it's, it is, it is every time I use these things, especially Twitter, I always think this is simultaneously like a miracle of technology. And it's also the absolute worst place on earth. Like it is, it is so strange. I mean, all these social media sites always come back to me in my head thinking like, you know, it's the best and the worst of everything that people are. And it, it has all this potential for, for greatness and for, yeah. for, you know, education and, and personal development. And it also got all this potential for the absolute worst. Like I can go on, I can log in for, for an hour and laugh my ass off and, and read amazing ideas and great conversations. And then also go down a rabbit hole of some political yeah, conspiracy totally. thing where I'm at the end, I'm pulling my hair out, but yeah. there is something there's a term that I wanted to I, I want to touch on with you because I, I I feel like it's an important one and that's digital literacy. Now, mm-hmm. it's a concept that I think it hasn't gained the kind of traction that it deserves, especially in education circles. I, I I bet that that will probably change as time goes on. But you know, we live in a world with with endless information and, and stories and unverified facts, and you never know where the information you're getting is coming from. And and do you feel like now there's a a, a greater need? for for young people especially to be able to identify information to be skeptical to to question things i mean you're talking about skills that go beyond you know the curriculum do you feel like digital mm-hmm. literacy and the ability to sort of verify information and to not take things at such face value do you feel like that's an important skill that that we need to keep developing in, in especially in younger generations i absolutely think that that is a critical skill <clears throat> that we need to develop now, especially. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, we just finished kind of briefly talking about the core competencies, you know, critical thinking yeah. that that is reflected in what we're really talking about here. Um, and when you apply critical thinking to being literate online, um, yeah. I think that is an incredibly important thing that we need to focus on right now. You know, I don't, I don't remember what the statistic is, but it's very high. Um, you know, Facebook, the leading social media platform that provides us with fake news. Yes. Um, I, I, I can't, I think it's like 60 or 70% or something like that. I can't remember the statistics, so don't yep. quote me on that. Uh, but it's, it's incredibly high. And you mentioned something about that dark side uh, of Twitter, yeah. the dark side of, of these social media sites. And absolutely, there are dark sides to these things. There are, uh, you know, rabbit holes, so to speak, where right. uh, you, you need to think critically uh, when you enter those places. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's unavoidable. There's a degree of anonymity when you participate on social media. Right. And I think that that breeds uh, this kind of behavior. Um, you know, I can only imagine, I mean, I, I, I'm sure you've seen uh, comments left on number of posts, oh, yeah. whether it be on 
Twitter, or, uh, Instagram, uh, YouTube, that people can get nasty. Oh yeah. And I think part of the reason why they get nasty is because they feel that there is a level of anonymity where there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you, that, that's a whole other can of worms right there. But, um, you know, you talk about critical thinking, you talk about criti- uh, digital literacy. Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. Um, being able to discern fake news from real news, mm. being able to discern what a credible source is, right. uh, being able to discern and compare, um, you know, different news outlets, outlets, biases, um, uh, you know, spins the way that the way the way the media spins things. Right. Those are critical th- skills. And then, you know, going even deeper, you talk about, well, digital digital skills themselves, you know, how can I produce this myself? How can I how do I effectively use a Google Doc inside right. and out? Uh, you know, how do I prepare or um, how do I understand what my online presence looks like? Right. You know, how, how am I showing myself to the world? Those are all questions that are embedded in digital literacy. It's a huge topic. Right. No, you know, interestingly enough, now you are obviously you're a tech conscious person. I know you're you're relatively active on social media as well. Are Are you... Are you constantly in a state of being careful about what you put out there? And do you feel like this is sort of a living by example for your students of, of, you know, this, you need to show them how to sort of that your, your social media is an extension of your own personality, that what you put out there, that what you say out there is linked to you more or less. And, and that you have yeah. to behave on the internet as you would in person. Is that, is that something that you consider both as an educator? And is it something that you try to pass on to your students as well? Absolutely. I, just, I think just by just the nature of, of my profession, the nature of my of my job, I need to uh, model the, the correct behavior. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very, very conscious about what I put on social media. I think Twitter is my only public social media channel. Uh, everything right. else is, is private. And even within those private spheres, uh, I'm, I'm also very careful about what I post. Um, you know, I, I understand and I think you need to understand that like you suggested, anything you put online is reflective of who you are. Um, And, you know, it's, it's important to understand these, these social media channels are considered at least right now, public. And, you know, so it's, it's, there's a whole argument about, oh, you know, what I say online and this, this and that. Well, well, no, you're, you're putting, you're putting information uh, pertaining to yourself and pertaining to your opinions in a public forum. And so, you know, uh, those, those things can be inferred, uh, a number of different ways by a number of different people. And, uh, you, I I just, you need to be precise. You need to be clear. You need to be precise. You need to be careful. Absolutely. And I guess drawing back to the sort of the the digital literacy thing is that, do you feel like there's maybe in terms of the internet, uh, I guess a misunderstanding that for a lot of people and and not just young people, but I mean, everybody in general, when they use the internet, that, that these the information that you put out there the the photos you take the 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 videos you post the tweets and the status updates all that is is pretty often a a, a relatively permanent record that yeah, I mean you hear the stories about people you see a lot especially with athletes right you know a guy gets drafted and next day there's some story about something he said when he was 16 that there's there needs to be a little bit more of an understanding of of what you put out there can can stay around and can be found and and can be searched and located later. So to consider that 
I guess social media is almost a little bit of a, it's, it's like a personal resume that can be looked up at a later date. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I worry, I worry sometimes I'm like, I must've put stuff on my Facebook or my Twitter way back that I'd be embarrassed by now. But I didn't understand back then yeah. that you just didn't wrap your head around the idea that it would still be there 10 years from now that people could go back and go, Hey, look, remember when you said this and you'd go, Oh no. Right. Like, is yeah, there, totally. is there a bit of a lack of an understanding now that this is that a lot of this can, can, stick with you if if you're not careful i like to think that 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 line of thinking has been improved i like to think that um you know it's funny because the the kids always go to snapchat and you know snapchat you send you send a picture or whatever and it disappears never to be seen again uh well that's that's not true um, in fact, if you download Snapchat for the first time, you have to accept a user agreement. And if you go through that user agreement, uh, it's quite clear yes. uh, uh, that they will, they do have record of everything that you send on their servers. Yep. Um, and so, you know, the best way to act online is to understand that everything you, you say, everything you post, uh, any inference that can be made uh, is permanent. Right. And so if you embrace that, that line of thinking and if you act as if those things are true online, uh, I feel like you are safeguarding yourself um, in, terms of, in terms of that dark side, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something, I mean, that's a topic. Digital privacy is something that I, I know I've touched on on this show a, a bunch of times because, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's one of the more defining uh, sort of areas of concern of our generation, right? Like we... We we constantly look back at older generations and get on them about, you know, well, look what you did to the planet and look at, you know, the economics you created. I feel like our generation is is veering a little bit towards there's going to eventually be a few generations come up and go, what did you do? You left us with no privacy. But that right there, the digital literacy on the ideas of terms and conditions, right? Like we we're, we all just click the button and hit accept because we don't want to. A, waste time, or B, be left out of something that everybody else is participating in, especially for younger generations. You just want to be where all your friends are, where your social circles are. And if everybody's on TikTok, then damn it, I'm getting on TikTok. I don't care if someone somewhere is is lifting that info or those videos or taking them or recording them or doing whatever because, you know, hey, what what harm is there in that? So uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just spitballing the idea here. That's the trade-off with participatory culture. These, right. these social media sites have provided us with this new type of participatory culture where uh, anyone who has these uh, tools can participate, can remix, can put, you know, put yeah. whatever they want, can create yeah. content. And the trade-off in order to be able to, uh, you know, be able to, put, to be put in that position to, to be a media creator in whatever regard you want to, you want to say that yeah. uh, is the exchange of your information. Right. Right. Yeah. You, so you I, think, sort of... I think that's... You you have no choice really, especially when you're younger. You right. you either you either have that social inclusion or you consider something that, I mean, people at that age just just don't think about problems that big, right? You're not thinking about like, right. oh, you know, some data mining company is going to do this with my photos or my info. It's just it's too big of an idea to wrap your head around when you're comparing it to, we want to swap memes with each other and like and you know have a laugh yeah. and have a good time. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I I, I never signed when we signed up for Facebook when we were in high school. We were never like, well, what does this mean for my data privacy? We were like, no, everybody's yeah. using it. Well, you know what? That was the thing when we had Facebook. You had to be invited, right? You couldn't yes. just sign up. You needed yeah. someone to invite you. Yeah, yeah. We lived through that. You era. know, so that's 
whole nother thing right yeah there. that was that was a whole different i remember that being i remember somebody sending me the email being like yeah here you go you can sign up tonight i was like cool all right yeah, you always cool. remember it you always remember yeah. that person who sent you that invite. yeah yeah it was like youtube the first i remember i remember the first time i ever saw a youtube video being like what is this like there's so videos on the yeah. now it's everything video is everything it's it's wild yeah. man i mean but I, I, we're dating ourselves again here, aren't we? We're, we're carbon dating uh, old guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, just what a time to be alive. That's right, man. That's right. All right. Well, uh, look, speaking of technology, though, how do you feel like it affects your students in the whole learning atmosphere? I mean, not just inside the classroom, but outside the classroom. Do you do you feel like there are increased stresses, you know, emotionally, intellectually that are placed on students as a result of a lot of this, you know, social media and technology? Is Is there sort of... Do you feel like there's a different atmosphere and a, and a different sort of culture around that now that, that I mean, we didn't experience when we were that age? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I get into this conversation a lot because I often hear uh, the idea discussed that, you know, social media is the enemy. Social media yeah. is what's producing uh, these anxieties and these mental illnesses and, uh, you know, that a number of people think that social media is inherently bad. Um, and <clears throat> although there are some links to, to those, um, assertions, I'd say, um, I think that it's more the way in which social media is used. Right. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the thing itself. It's how we are using it. Right. And it, it goes back to what we mentioned with the competencies and teaching critical thinking and, and managing stresses of social emotional learning. There needs to be um, an understanding about how to use these things correctly, how to use them positively, efficiently. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's not the tool, it's the way the tool is being used. Right. 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 Is it sort of like a, you can't fight the future sort of thing. It's not going anywhere. So our best bet is to, to educate and to, to provide guidance. And I mean, it's not it, going anywhere, man. Right. It's it, not it, going anywhere. It's only going to be enhanced. Yeah. Especially when it's so ingrained in the culture now, right. That like, you can't, you, you can't just imagine there's going to be a day where people all look down at their phones and go too much time to, I'm done with this now. Like it's, you figure, I guess the truth unless is, you're you in a pandemic educate. and you're, Doing it for hours and hours and hours on it. <laughs> Outside that, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, you know, it's for me too, man. I spent a lot of time over the screen the past couple of weeks, yeah. And I, yeah. Know, I know my kids too are 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 hurting. And I think, like I said, even my guys who play video games for yeah twelve hours a day, yeah. they are even saying like, "This is too much. I got too much screen time right now." Yeah. So yeah, I guess that's an interesting thing to see that they even recognize that it's, uh, I feel like that's a common theme of this whole thing right now, even me working from home, right? Like I never worked yeah. from home until right when this started. And now, uh, you know, I talk to my boss and she's like, well, you know, what do you think? How do you, how do you feel about the work from home? And I'm like, it would be great if it was optional, right? A lot yeah, of this would well, be, great. Yeah. It's, it's always great until the options aren't there. It's, it's, you may choose to do it, but that's because it was your choice to do so. Once right. you remove, you can be doing the exact same thing every day. But if the choice is no longer there, it has a different psychological effect on people that suddenly right. they feel like they're being forced to. But that's, yeah, I, I can imagine even for students now that that they're probably feeling it. So now, uh, in, just in terms of, I mean, with social media and all that, 
being somebody who's a, a younger teacher, and I, you know, I'm sure they probably would disagree, but <laughs> do you feel like it provides uh, more opportunities? Or do you feel like maybe that perspective you have, that generation that we've grown up in, do you feel like you, it's providing more opportunities to connect, to, to relate? And is, is, do you, are there any benefits to that? I think that, uh, I think, you know, for teachers who want to use social media to relate to their students, I think you got to do it in a very professional way. I mean, I'm not, I don't have any of my students on Instagram. So for example, right. Uh, I think the, I think the relational piece lies in the fact that we are both digital natives. Um, like I mentioned before about us being, uh, you know, old enough, but not too old to remember what it was like. We were like digital settlers, really. We weren't digital natives. Settlers, we, were, hey. we weren't natives. We weren't immigrants. We were we were digital. We were the people who arrived on the digital we, landscape. Like, hey, we colonized. That's right, <laughs> digital colonists. Thank. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be a colonist, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah might, you know that's that's a good point. You know, I might yeah. have to steal that from you and coin that. But uh... please do. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's you know it's it's this fringe it's this fringe uh, area. It's this fringe yeah. area that we fall upon uh, that I think is very unique. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I think teachers need to, for the most part, again, I don't want to overgeneralize, but I right. think that yeah. oftentimes we see that, uh, you know, pedagogy is pitted against um, digital, I guess. So yeah. I, don't know, I don't know what the word would be. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure. I don't know. That's a tough one, Dan. You're gonna have That's, to edit this part yeah. out. <laughs> no, no, keeping it in. It's keeping it good. It's good. This is great. Now, um, I mean, I guess off that same sort of branch, though. Do you, do you notice that there are? Do you ever notice in the job that if there are any differences between sort of teachers of different generations in the way they handle these issues? I mean, I imagine that that technology and social media play a big role in a lot of the day to day ongoings and a lot of the interpersonal you know development and problems that students have and the goings on at the school. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. like there's different perspectives depending on generations that that older teachers might maybe don't understand or they maybe handle certain circumstances differently than someone say your age would? Yeah, I think that there is uh, a difference. I think that there's a spectrum. I think there's a spectrum of teachers um, that you can fall, fall in. Um, And, you know, things change so rapidly these days, especially when it comes to technology. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I can't help but think about my experience in high school and uh, you know, just, just, just comparing some of the teachers that I had, Um, you know, I had a teacher, uh, you know, I studied history in in university, but in high school, I hated history. I hated history. And it wasn't because I hated the content. It was because I didn't respond to the way uh, that I was being taught. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, today, I think that there's an increased, uh, you know, awareness about the diversification about, you know, the ways in which we teach the ways in which we were connecting with our students and the ways in which we should teach uh, students who respond to certain ways. Yeah. So, excuse me. I think that, uh, yeah, I think there's a spectrum. Um, obviously younger teachers, I think generally are more open to experimenting with new strategies and right. new tools. Uh, whereas older teachers are a little bit more set in their ways. I like that. I, I like that point you make about how the way you're taught can make all the difference in the world. Like I, I, as I got older, I realized how much I liked science, right? I liked, I, I loved mm. learning about all sorts of scientific stuff, but I was a terrible, terrible science student in high school and when i looked back i realized i 
had an awful science teacher in high school, an awful science teacher. Not, not that I can even remember his name now, but you know, if he ever somehow finds this, you sucked, dude. But <laughs> he was a guy, he was one of <laughs> those guys who, who had no patience and no sort of ability to sort of, you know, to work with students, you know, talking down, yeah, yeah. you know, being very harsh all the time. And I realized later on in my life, I'm like, I loved science. I, when I was in elementary school, I loved everything science. Yeah. When I was in college, I, it was too late because I had, you know, not developed any of those skills. And how I realized looking back, I'm like, that, that guy completely screwed me. I mean, sure, I'm personally responsible, but at the same time, there's that mentorship role that, that gets played with teachers. And you think a bad teacher can really, set you off on a path or really ruin your enjoyment of something that you otherwise might have really participated in. Yeah, totally. I think, you know what, I, I got, I got that train of thought back. Now you just, you just, you just clicked it at me here. Yeah. Uh, I just stumbled a couple of minutes ago because I was talking about how pedagogy is pitted against technology. Right. That's what I was speaking about. Right. And, uh, and, and I think this ties in quite, quite nicely because, you know, you talk about that technology piece that we've been talking about. Yeah, and you look you look at the 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 veterans, so to speak, in the spectrum of teachers, yeah. and you look at well, who of those people are more willing to embrace new tools? Right. You know. Yeah. If they're more willing to embrace more uh, new tools, or alternatively, you, you you look at the the rookie spectrum, so to speak, I'll use that term mm-hmm. loosely, uh, <laughs> but the the new teachers, right? How many of them? are set in their ways, right. perhaps, you know, the way that they were taught. I think a number of people teach the way that they were taught. Right. Right. They, so they, it's sort of like a, you think it's a little bit of like a bell curve here where we start, you're a little too rigid sticking to your education. And when you're older, you're a little too rigid sticking to your tradition. Is there a, is there like a happy zone there where you're, you're into the career, you're a little more malleable, but you haven't quite been there long enough to get a little jaded and <laughs> set in your ways. See, it's a, yeah, I think you're hitting something. I think you're hitting on something there. I think yeah. you're hitting on something there. I think that malleability is important. That's an important word, malleability. If you can remain malleable uh, for, for a long period of time in your teaching career, I think that you have a less less likelihood of burning out because teaching, you can burn out quite easily. Right, right. So no, that makes you gotta sense. be malleable. You gotta be malleable. That's and yeah, you know that's... what? That goes for life, man. That's yeah. outside. That's in life too. You gotta be malleable. Yeah. You gotta be able to adapt. Yeah, got to be able to hear an opinion and that's different than yours and consider it, right? Or you got to be able to, yeah, yeah. you got to be able to be flexible and and be willing to change and all that, right? I, hard to argue yeah. with any of that, man. Now, <laughs> yeah. just to just to shift a little bit here. In addition to you being a teacher, you're also a coach. You're also yes. you're also an excellent football coach, might I say? Well, <laughs> I appreciate that. And sorry, what's your official role with the team there? Uh, right now, I'm very fortunate enough to be the head coach of the JV team at the uh, at the school I work at here in Vancouver. Great, excellent. I just want to I want to make sure I got your title right. Yeah. Now, uh, in terms of coaching, I mean, the one thing I've noticed over the years is is technology's playing a massive role in the way players in athletics, both develop themselves and market themselves and draw attention to themselves. Have you, do you notice a lot of that in the day to day that there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more use of social media tools and internet tools for, for younger people to try to try to draw attention to themselves athletically. Absolutely. Yeah. Hands down, hands down. Yeah. I think, you know, I log into Twitter, uh, you know, go back to Twitter again, but I log into Twitter and the, the, the amount of film that I can, 
I can watch on Twitter just by simply browsing, but also had yeah. I put something out to ask. I know a lot of coaches I follow on Twitter, they will they will just put a tweet out and say, Hey, drop your film down here in the comments. I'm doing nothing. I got I'm sitting at home in this pandemic. Uh, I got lots of time yeah. to watch film. And again, you talk about using those tools properly, right? You know, it gives it affords players in today's day the opportunity to connect with coaches all across the world uh mm. all across north america the united states canada and to share their film with them and right. you know i don't remember that being a being an option when we were playing football trying to be no i mean you and school. i you and I, I remember when i was in high school i was i would make like video edited highlight tapes for people on our teams right like yeah. people would oh, hit yeah. me up and pay me you know a little bit of money and be like hey man can you put our clips together throw some stuff i got all yeah. this stuff here man like it's it's like that was the original tool was like you had to learn how to use some basic video editor and put some cheesy graphics now you can do it on your phone in like on 20 seconds like yeah. you, it's done you barely have to get off the couch to do it i mean it's a, and it also you're right the way you can hashtag it and, and at coaches and recruiters and send a clip the day of you know there people yeah. people are people are putting clips online that happened five seconds ago you know, Absolutely. and they're out there for the world to see. It's a different, it's a whole different world now. Oh yeah. They can drop highlights from each game. You know, every week yeah. you could tweet out a new, a new highlight film or, you know, your season yeah. highlights. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible, it's an incredible tool for, for the players. And do you feel like it's a good coaching tool as well? Are you able to, I mean, the one thing I remember from even our generation was, was just that small little barrier of like, how do you get videos? You know, we used to burn DVDs, right. And hand them off and yeah. you know, you'd have to pass yeah. them around. And now, now do you feel like as a coach, like you can just literally send something to anybody, to the whole team and the, you know, the snap of a finger, like, is oh, it, is absolutely. it made things much more accessible for you guys? For sure. I mean, I don't, I don't remember us having huddle when we were playing football. Right. I don't remember. We had that. some cheap version of that kind of stuff, but it we was a really, very... if I remember, it was really, it was really clunky and and not yeah. very efficient, if I remember. Yeah, it was a very, very primitive version, I think. Right. Where you know, but you know, with Huddle, <clears throat> you can you can communicate with your team and share clips very, very easily. But, yeah. um, you know, when it comes to uh, again, I go back to the idea of Twitter being the professional development, being able to connect with coaches uh, all across Canada, all across the United States. I think over the course of this past couple of weeks, the pandemic, I participated in a couple of uh, coaching clinics that were held live streamed on Twitter. Right. You know, right. the accessibility is there. Um, yeah. And so, you know, it, it's, it's so easy. It's so easy. Yeah. Now, now shifting a little bit away from the technology stuff and, and getting to something, I guess we're both a little, we're both very comfortable with a little bit yeah. more just to the to football itself. Now, I mean, you're, you're a coach. I was, I was a coach for a little bit, a long time ago. It's been a while, yeah. but yeah. now, I mean, a lot's changed in, in recent years. And one of the biggest things that's changing all the time and every year is player safety. So yeah. how do you, how do you keep up with the changes? How does it change? How do you adapt as a coach to, to the world in football? teaching safety first when, you know, there's, there's so much pressure to want to, to do, you know, lay a big hit and make a big play, but safety now is such a priority. How, how has that, how has that adaptation been for you? Oh yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, when we played, it was, there wasn't as much teaching. And when it came to learning how to tackle, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you know, the basic form of how to tackle, you know, how to shape up and form up with somebody. But uh, I think, I think there's a ton of new protocols right now with, with, with hitting. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing is hitting. Yeah. Um, and, and, and getting the head out of the game. Um, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> I, I can't help, but 
remember that one time in practice <laughs> where you just came out of nowhere. You were a wide receiver, and I was a a, a linebacker. Yeah. He was playing outside linebacker at the time, and I remember my. I've never been crack blocked so hard. <laughs> I have never been crack blocked so hard, and I still remember. I still feel that. Yeah, I still feel that to this day. Yeah, you know that's so you know, that's that, that I think stuff. is how we met. <laughs> I, I don't think I even knew you. I'm pretty sure I didn't even know you yet when I laid that hit on you. And I think the only thing I knew was that your dad was the head coach. And I thought, I'm going to be in shit for this. <laughs> and I and hold on. If I think I think if I remember your dad, your dad's response was, well, you should have kept your head on a swivel. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that sounds like him. Yeah, that sounds like him. Oh. You know, like player safety stuff, right? Like that's yeah. that's the kind of stuff that you really need to be aware of. Head I, on a swivel, get the head out of the game. Yeah, and I mean, it's it. The strange thing is that when I got to university, I was in I was in health sciences, right? And and I I took an injuries class, and my my professor in that class was was one of the the leading athletic therapists in the whole country. He's a highly reputable guy. And I remember we were talking about concussions at that time, and it's dawned on me all these years that have gone by that. Right when we were finishing high school and going into college, it was when concussion research started to get a little traction and people started to finally kind of, we, we always knew there were issues and you'd have to sit out and, oh, you know, it's a big deal. But it wasn't until yeah. we were, it was when you and I were after our high school days and into our college days, you were still playing, obviously, college ball too, where all of a sudden we started to understand what the effects of that was. And I started to, I remember mm -hmm. reflecting backwards thinking like, I feel bad. Like I feel bad, like like taking the head off a friend of mine and like teammates in practice, and like then I started to think like, yeah, I remember getting dinged a few times in high school, and then the week after feeling really strange, like really like emotional, and you know having strange all these things. So now that the research is there and we understand the effects that that head injuries have, is there is mm -hmm. there a lot more? I mean, we hear about it as sports fans, but but for somebody who's still in the game. Is there, is there a lot more emphasis on being careful about that? And it, does that cause difficulties? Is it hard for young people to sort of wrap their, you know, no, I guess pun intended, but to wrap their heads around the idea that, mm -hmm. you know, taking a concussion at, at the age of 16, 17, 18 could, can have effects that linger. Is there, is, is there a difficulty in sort of purveying that information to, to your players? Uh, you know, I, I can speak for my players in particular. I, I don't know if I can speak for every player, but I do, I, I can say that my guys respond very well to that. I think they yeah. understand, they understand that, uh, there is a, there is a risk there, uh, when it comes to the concussion, they, they you know, they don't want to, uh, nobody wants to get hit in the head. Nobody wants right. to get a concussion. Uh, yeah. so, uh, you know, there are rigorous protocols uh when it comes to concussions sideline testing and making sure that we we're, we're keeping an eye on our guys you know anytime there's a big hit made remotely yeah. close to the head we pull them out we just do a quick check on them uh we, we're very fortunate to have a number of doctors on our sideline too just to make sure um and so yeah there there are it's one of the most important things i mean player safety above all uh is is paramount on on our teams i can yeah. tell you that yeah, you know, absolutely. And I guess sort of just a segue away from that is, uh, I guess in the years since because of that, and and because of the education I've had on the subject over this time, and, and the fact that I sort of look back on my own career playing and, and thought about all the times that I got dinged, even at practices and at games. And I thought, yeah, you know, I bet that probably did have an effect. I just didn't realize at a time has, I know that for me, my perspective on the game is, has changed a little bit. I mean, I'm still a massive football fan. You can't, you can't keep me away from watching this stuff, 
But for you, has, has your perspective on the sport changed at all in the years since you stopped playing? And, and you know, has has anything have, have you had any sort of perspective shift on on the game itself or anything like that? It's an interesting one. I think I think when you take higher level football, <clears throat> you know, NFL, CFL kind of stuff, uh, I think that it, I think there's a, there's an emphasis on the individual, right, as opposed to the team. And I know when you and I were playing, and uh, you know, in my days playing football, it was always about the team. It's team first. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think you can speak to that too. We played on the same yeah. team for a number of years. It's always team first, and. Man, you know, I know you're a big football fan. I'm a huge football fan. I think football is the greatest team sport on the entire planet. You know, it's like that. 12 guys in Canadian, 11 for American. Yeah. Uh, but it takes, you know, double digit men, yeah. players, I should say, I should say, uh, to to do a job. Yeah. E- each one of those guys have one job. And if every single guy does their job correctly, they win that play. Yeah. It takes a number of people to complete one goal. And it's just the more goals that you win, the more scores you'll get. The more yeah. scores you'll get, the more games you'll win. Yeah. And it's just it's it truly, truly is any given Sunday a big fan right here. Yeah. Al Pacino. <laughs> it truly is yeah. it truly is game of inches. It yeah. comes down to the smallest possible things. And the smallest things build up, they build up, and they build up, and they create one big thing. Yeah. And the same goes for the team. The team is, is a number of things, the number of people. And each one of those people represent uh, a small piece. And yeah. when, when all those pieces come together, it's one great thing. Um, and so I think that there has been a shift uh, to that individual. Right. I think there's been an emphasis on that. And, and just to sort of just wrap back to the common theme here that we've been touching on, do you feel like the, the technology side of it, the, the social media side, the creating a persona and trying to market yourself that a players, a lot of players feel that they have to do now, do you think that that is sort of playing into it that in order to get noticed, you have to be very individual and sort of build a persona, but then it's contradictory to the sort of the, the base you know, heart of the sport itself. Do you, is that? It's a great point. It's a great idea, actually. I, you know, it's. I think that there's definitely a role uh, to play in that when it comes to social media and being able to that. Remember that that online presence that we spoke yeah. about, right? Being able to to create that presence about you as a player, and and yeah, there's. I think that there's a there's a, some desire to to create that individuality and that that you know embodying yourself yeah. as a special player. Um, but I think at the same at the same time, I think any coach, any good coach, uh, would would recognize that it's the team that is the most important thing, yeah. and uh, you're gonna want you're gonna want those players that are gonna contribute to the bigger picture, the bigger goal. Right, right. Now, I guess uh, just a little compare and contrast here. You know, you teach in the classroom and you coach outside of the classroom. What are what are some of the differences? I mean, both ways, you're educating people, you're you're you know looking to develop skills, both interpersonal and more technical. What are some of the differences between those two roles that you, you play. Yeah, it's a big difference. You know, you ask any, any one of my students who I coach and teach at the same time, and they'll tell you I'm a different person. They'll tell you I'm a different guy. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the biggest things, especially when it comes to the football field is no one's, no one's, no one's forcing you to be on the football field. Right. Uh, I think everyone uh, who wants to play football, I mean, I, I, we don't cut. Yeah, we're going to allow everyone to come out and find a role. I think there's a role for everyone on the team. Yeah, uh, you know that role might be, uh, you know, 
backing up somebody we, who, who yeah we had that in my high school too especially at the jv level where we we yeah. i mean at my high school if there was we had some years where there was like 110 kids on the jv team like like there were some kids on the roster who are wearing jerseys ripped sweater jerseys from the 1960s that they found in the basement because they had no more yeah. uniforms it's it's now just, i i do think though i do think you know when you have a number like that i think that there are a number of kids who are simply there uh for as jersey chasers yeah social right? and, so and it's the social as, aspect of it yeah right and i think that is important i think that there i think football is a sport where there there is a role for everyone uh but the role is only there so long as you contribute to the team right and if you're there you know simply to 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 say oh i'm on the football team yeah or you know i call them jersey chasers they're just there to get a jersey i'm sure they didn't show up or anything else right that that's not a contribution that's right. not a contribution, right? If you want to be part of this team, you you can be part of this team, absolutely. But you need to contribute something, uh, and whether that be you know giving somebody a look on our scout team or uh, you know backing somebody up at, at a certain game or a certain point, that's your role. Yeah, that's your role, and we need that role. Uh, if, if and if if you don't want that role, then you know unfortunately we don't have a spot for you. Right. So th- there is a give and take. It's you know just because I say we don't cut doesn't mean that you know oh everyone come play football. Yeah. Uh, as much as I'd love to have 110 kids in the team, ultimately there's only 11 on the field. Yeah. So you know there's there's got to there's got to be that balance. Now I, just out of curiosity, you are sort of in a unique situation because you obviously are are coaching football here in Canada, but you're coaching American football in Canada in sort yeah. of a unique. Uh, BC has that those leagues that 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 teach four down 11 man football with the smaller field. So I, I guess just sort of for, to talk the game a little bit with you, since we gotta, we gotta get a little, yeah, get a little yeah, something yeah. there. What, what I do you it. notice? I mean, I never, I never played or coached American football. So you, you have now done both. Yeah. What is, what is something you notice that, I mean, what are the differences that you notice there? Are, are there different subtleties in how you coach the game and how you sort of have to approach everything? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. BC is the only province as far as I know that plays uh, American rules. Uh, in their high school leagues and it's 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 a different game man it's a different game you know there's all this talk right now about the nfl cfl you know cfl is looking for that funding yeah. uh the cfl is a different game it yeah. is it is football but is a different brand it's a different breed of football and yeah. uh you know it's it, i think that's very important to understand it's not the same game right. um and so you know i talk i had this conversation a lot it's it's two things it's hey what are the differences between vancouver and toronto and then hey what are the differences between canadian <laughs> and american football yeah. uh and you know a lot of people say it's the size of the ball it's the extra down it's the extra man yeah. man to me to me the biggest difference is the size of the field right it right. is the size yeah. of the field yeah you know you do you th- you throw like a five yard out on a canadian yeah. field that is like a what I don't know thirty plus yard throw maybe yeah and you know when, when you we throw played, that on an American field oh man like when we played I remember my dad used to always say that too whenever he'd come to the games afterwards he'd go what are you guys running these eight yard outs you know you're you, you got a sixteen year old trying to throw a forty yard pass to gain three yards so then I was like yeah oh, he's he's right the, the space on the field and the way you have to play within it always is is a bit wild and yet it almost the canadian rules almost sometimes seem a little unfair for for younger people for younger players like especially mm-hmm. i mean you've coached a lot of jv ball in the canadian field too it's 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 a lot of space for for kids who have not developed physically and don't have the t- the skills you know to to really like there, there's a lot of extra space that is getting unused most times or 
it's really it, it's it's almost overkill especially when players are younger to to have that much room and to have that much you know like you said throwing a a five yard out is like a 40 yard throw <laughs> yeah it's it's a long throw yeah and you know you throw that on american field it, it is a lot shorter yeah so you know size of the ball the extra man the extra down yeah that all plays a factor but the side of the field man i mean the extra down too that i think i think the extra down allows for a little bit more um flexibility in the run game right especially in the american side of yeah the, right because you have that extra down to to use um and you know you got, you got four tries to get 10 yards yeah. okay well i essentially just need you know three yards carries right in in, in canada and canadian league you need a good run in in a cfl is five six yards yeah. and especially i i mean right. i know the space sort of you know kind of evens things out when you got all that more room but i i always felt and even getting older now i feel like it's it's tough to play three downs when you're a kid because when you're in high school again like quarterbacks can't throw uh, you know, it's it, when you're 16, 17 years old, it's really hard to find a kid who can really throw a ball, you know, and receivers, yeah. you know, learning how to catch and learning how to take a hit and learning those skills. That's tough, too. It's it's a lot of pressure in Canada that you got to complete a 10 yard pass almost all the time, every drive, like every few plays. And it's a lot to ask for, for yeah. players who haven't developed passing game skills, even even offensive linemen. I mean, you remember from all the seasons you and I played summer ball. Our biggest problem every single year, even when we were playing coaching, was always the offensive line. It's so hard to get kids to play it. And then when you have them, it's so hard to teach the technical skills behind that position. So it's just, it always felt like to me, like Canadian football is is at the professional level. The CFL is awesome. It's awesome. It's so entertaining. It's so much fun. But when you get down to the to the high school level, it's it's a little harder it's a lot harder for those rules to work with kids that age when when the passing game skills that are required to really get a lot of offense going are are tough do you, do you feel like as when you play four down football that you know the it's a little it gives kids a little bit more of an opportunity to sort of develop those you know the run game skills or or even take the pressure off passing wise oh sure i think yeah i think i think that four down uh, four down ball really really emphasizes that run game and if you're emphasizing the run game you're emphasizing the o-line you know there's two kinds of football players man there's there's players and there's the o-line and yeah. and you know even in life there's two kinds of people there's people and then there's o-line men and you know <laughs> showed right. it to my o-line men because you cannot play football without o-line yeah and i love my o-line men i love all o-line men like you need them for the game i mean how many and, years how uh, many years did we play summer ball where we had we had I mean, man, you and I, we played we played years where we had skill position players who, looking back now, they were like, I mean, I played in receiver cores where, where it was me and like five guys who ended up playing like, you know, NCAA or CIS football, like call it like guys who had successful college careers, like guys who had pro shots. And I'm, I'm looking around like, man, we had skill position. I mean, we played one summer with a guy who played running back at Virginia in the ACC, yeah. like who who, yeah. who played major college football, and yet the offensive linemen we always had were always like you know guys who were just trying to mishmash together because it was so much harder to get those oh, yeah. guys going in the summertime. And it's it's yeah, it's amazing. I think I played back. guard for like three weeks. You did. I remember. I think you I played guard for like three weeks. Yeah, yeah I think you did because we had no, we literally had nobody. How many guys were playing both ways? 
I mean, oh, there's a lot on that team. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, if you play defense, it was a line, hot summer, Dan. It was a oh, hot summer, man. I'll man. tell you that. If you play defensive <laughs> line, you were playing offensive line. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, those were those were some. Yeah, those were some wild days when they got us those. You remember they got us those those jerseys that that first summer I think we played together where they were like double layered or something. Oh. Like that? It was like dark blue double layered football jerseys, and we were going out. Like thirty you know, degrees. Yeah, we're playing one p.m. Oh. in the afternoon, where the, you could see the heat waves, you know, coming off the ground, oh. and we're like, "Oh yeah. my god!" I think I think I scored a touchdown at McMaster that year. We were playing at Max Stadium, and I scored an eighty-yard touchdown. And I remember running to the end zone, and I I came off the field, and I looked down, and I was like, "I have to take my shoes off." <laughs> and they're like, "Why?" And I'm like, "Because my feet are actually burning. Like the I rubber have- is burning." <laughs> I have to I like go on some like pulling my cleats off, like get them off, get them off. They hurt. Just pour some water on them. Like Yeah, oh, that's what man. we do. We throw some water on there. Yeah. Oh, those 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 are good years, man. Those were good years. Those are the days, man. <laughs> the golden years. And we're getting old enough to reminisce now, right? <laughs> we're almost there. Almost. Don't don't remind almost. me. Almost. Don't we're remind okay. Me. We're fine. We're yeah. fine. We got plenty of time. <laughs> sure. All sure. Right. All right. Well, it's my job to get us back onto the rails a little bit here, I guess. So, you know, it, it, heading towards a conclusion here, you know, I, getting back to the education stuff and your role as a teacher and all that. I, I guess I got to ask you some sort of bigger thoughts here. What are some what are some of the things you'd like to see sort of evolve and change for the better in the education system? I mean, you're a young guy. You got a long you got a long career ahead of you. So, what are some of the things that you'd like to see evolve in the system, in the classroom, inside, outside? You know, just what are some thoughts of things you'd like to see sort of grow and develop? Yeah, I think uh, I think from a Canadian perspective, I think it ties into a lot of things we've already spoken about in terms of the competencies. Um, but you know, I, I have a, I have a pretty invested interest in the technology piece of education. And I think that, I think that there's a multitude, a number of tools, uh, that students and us, uh, have at their fingertips and almost now more than ever. And you can bet that there's going to be more on the horizon. Uh, you know, so I think, I think it's just really important right now. Uh, that we have and we're teaching all the necessary uh, tools uh, in order yeah. to to survive in, in a world where technology is so far advancing, uh, you know, year yeah. after year. Um, and so, you know, it's the skills we need to effectively use those tools that are that are coming. Um, yeah. And uh, I think I think that's the biggest thing for me. That's, you know, there's, there's a thing that I talked about, I've mentioned a bunch of times on this show, um, where when I talk about technology, I always seem to, I always seem to draw back to the legal side of it, where technology is developing so fast that that law and government can't keep up with it, that by the time they legislate one thing, you know, it's like the fact that it's like private, we were talking about privacy laws earlier, like, there aren't any, because they were never (laughs) written, really, we're just starting to write them now. But as fast as we write them, things change. Right. So it, you know, talking about the stuff with you about education feels similar. It's, it's, by the time you can even really adjust the curriculum or, or teaching methods from from teachers college all the way up to the job itself, by the time you can really get your head around it, there's a whole new plethora of things that you have to to adapt to so i mean is that something that you feel like as time goes on that that being quicker to respond and is something that's essential for you guys i do think that is that is important you know i am i'm an optimist i'm an optimist i I like to see i like to look at the good side of things uh and hope it's refreshing uh (laughs) but you know part of me you know the other part of me is a realist 
And, uh, you know, I, 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 I just inherently don't think that that's a good strategy. You know, it's right. produce produce the technology or produce uh, the outcome and then let's revise the laws and the, right. the, the mechanisms after uh, I just don't, it's putting the, the cart before the, what is it saying? The cart before the horse uh, right. to me, that's what it looks like. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's tough, man. You know, going back to the, the, the big picture idea too, is it's, it's, you know, no matter what happens in terms of technologies, in terms of skills, it's like, what, what is the most important thing yeah. as a person? And I think one of the most important things we should be teaching uh, in terms of just how to be a person is character. Yeah. You know, if you have good character, if you are a good person, if you're doing the right things, no matter what comes at you, uh, you're going to be all right. You're going to make the right yeah. decision. I think uh, the challenge is how do we teach character? How do we, how do we grow character? How do we get people with character into positions of power where they can make smart decisions? Right. Uh, I think that's, I think that's the challenge, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the people, the skills that, that, you know, young people take out into the world, they learn them early and they last a really long time and they're tough to change the further you go. I mean, you must, uh, you, you must understand me when I say this because you're the same age as me. You, you get a little older, suddenly you feel a little more rigid. You know, you're always, mm -hmm. we were saying earlier, you want to be malleable, but sometimes it's, it gets a little harder when you get a little older. You start to get a few years on you, you feel a little bit more set in stone. You know, you have to fight yeah, a little harder yeah. to be willing to change as you get older. So those skills you teach at a young age are, are damn, man, they're so important. Crucial. You know, you know, they really last. And I mean, I was saying to you before about that, you know, that science teacher I had in high school. I think a lot of times those educators don't quite realize that you may think it's just a job and these kids are, you know, they're going to come and they're going to go, but the small things can last a really long time and can have a lot yeah. of ripple effects in, in the lives of young people that you may not think it affected them, but, but you know, like I, that guy probably doesn't even know that, like, you know, who knows what I would have gotten yeah. into if I, if I had developed that love of science in high school, like maybe I would have gone into chemistry and then gone to college for so like it, it can have such a ripple effect down the line that I, I feel like, I feel like that's that's so important and it's not not paid attention. It's not given the attention it deserves too. Yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let me get get to a couple of wrap up questions then. So, I mean, this one's this. Uh, I'm going to end with some softballs like we began. So, what are okay. what, right. what are some things you want to accomplish in the immediate future, both as a teacher and a coach, and and maybe as a long term goal for yourself as well? What are what are some things you'd like to you know accomplish in your career? Sure. Um... Well, you know, on a personal level, and when it comes to uh, football and being a coach, uh, obviously something I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, I, I've won a championship in Ontario as a player, a number as a player. I've won one as a coach. Thanks for rubbing it in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you went to the wrong school, man. Hey, Sorry. Hey. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, icing on top of the cake, man, would be to take one here in BC. That would be really cool. Um, you know, that shift – from uh, Canadian to American is something that I was interested in, something that I yeah. uh, I think is pretty cool. So putting that on the resume would be pretty cool. Um, professionally, you know, I'm at the tail end of a master's program right now. I've really been enjoying it. I think I've learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited to, to finish that up, wrap that up, and then see what I can do in terms of implementing the things that I've learned. Yeah. I think I might have some aspirations uh, after that to, I don't know, maybe pursue something even higher. Good. Not sure yet. Yeah. Haven't decided yet, but yeah. uh, you know, take it one day at a time, one step at a time and, and figure it out as we go. 
but uh but yeah those are those are the big things on my list right now uh man i just want to i just want to travel yeah you know i i'm i'm stuck at getting home i'm a big traveler i'm a big traveler i like to go somewhere every year like to just explore i'll tell you what i'll tell you when this is over i'm i'm i guarantee you i'm making a trip out there and uh yes sir and i'm gonna start to get those travel wings going on my own too because it's uh it's been a real wake-up call this whole scenario here You, you put it off long enough and then you can't do it and and you know it's uh it's you yeah. said it I think you said it before we even started here that you know taking it for granted is is a lesson I think we're all learning right now so yeah totally yeah, man, totally that's great well you always got a spot to stay man if you come excellent. out here I'll show you a good time excellent and, uh, I'm looking forward yeah. to it all right well yes, sir. buddy uh, Carlo I appreciate you man I, I I cannot believe how well this went um you know my first guest I'm honored I I I, I mean, I got no words. I got no more words. I'm worded out. You've left me speechless. So I appreciate you, man. As always, you're a great friend. You've always been a great friend. You, you, you know, have always come through in the clutch. Thank you for talking. Thank you for, for bringing your insight and your expertise. I, I appreciate you, man. Uh, you know, really, I can't thank you enough. Hey, man, I appreciate you having the invite to me. And uh, I'm humbled that I was your first ah. guest. Uh, <laughs> you're doing some real good things here. I know you're passionate about it. You're you're really killing it. So I'm happy, happy to do this. And uh, yeah, we'll see. You know, a couple episodes down the road, you want to revisit the conversation. I'm always here for you. Hey, hey, yeah, you know, this, this might be a regular thing, man. <laughs> hey, I'm here for you, man. All right, buddy. Well, thanks again, eh? And uh, I guess we'll wrap it up from here, all right? Cheers. All right. How about that, eh? Not bad for a first time. I gotta say, I had no idea what to expect coming in, and in the end, I was really amazed at how well it all turned out. Another huge thanks to Carlo for stopping by to chat. It really meant a lot for me to have my first guest be a close friend, and someone I both respect and admire greatly. I hope you, the listener, got a lot out of it as well. Let me know how it sounded to you. Reach out. Critique my interviewer skills. Go nuts! Anyways... Not a lot of wrapping up to do here today. I think I've kept you long enough. Thanks again for listening. If you liked it, tell a friend. And then take care out there. Be safe. Be well. And I hope I'll see you again here next time on Assorted Goods. Peace out. is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness.